Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. I am Corey Morgan. This is the Western Standards weekly appearance of me where I can come out there and get my thoughts out on some issues. We can cover some news issues and talk to interesting guests. I got a good one coming on today. It's the first time she's been on my show all this time. I've been on her show a few times, never been at her with us. So we got Sheila Gunn-Reed coming on in a little while. It'll be a good conversation talking about independent media and a lot of the problems we're facing. So we'll be chatting about that and of course covering a, a lot of other news items going on. For those of us out in Western Canada right now, uh, winter has suddenly hit. Boy, you know, it's that first blast of it just always feels terrible. We're only, what, six days away from Halloween. Hope it warms up. It looks like it's going to for the kids. I mean, I got those memories as a child of freezing out there with that elastic on the back of my head, pulling my hair with some cheap plastic mask and the boogers freezing in there. But you know what? I didn't care long as I could go door to door and get candy. But if it doesn't have to be miserable for the kids, all the better. So let's hope the weather lightens up a little bit for them. For the rest of you out there, come on, guys, get your heads on straight. I was hearing about it, Edmonton, Calgary, hundreds of accidents. It comes every year, guys, every year. Don't believe David Suzuki. The earth hasn't warmed up so much that it won't snow anymore. It's going to snow. It's going to happen every year. Slow down, put on your winter tires. Just try to think back a year and how you used to drive then. All right, let's get on to what I'm ranting about today. And uh, let's see, you know, I, I, I don't know where to start. Well, I know where to start. I need to start it on. I'm getting sick of it. So let's cut through the BS. The world is seeing a resurgence of anti-Semitism unlike any since World War II. And it's being fed by elements of the media, politicians, and academics. In fact, it is reminiscent of world attitudes during World War II, and rumors began to leak out about the extermination of Jews in Europe. Escaped prisoners and local citizens related stories of systematic extermination of Jews, among other horrifying things happening years before the camps were liberated. But countries around the world, they refused to believe it. There was often saying the stories are exaggerations. If indeed these camps existed at all, they dismissed the rumors as sympathy plays being made by Jews who probably brought the abuse upon themselves in the first place. As the Jews tried to flee, nations closed their borders to them. Canada's Mackenzie King famously said multiple times, none is too many when he was talking about Jews coming in here. He promised Canadians he wouldn't let Jews come in and pollute our bloodlines. Yeah, that's how it was then. Ships of Jewish refugees returned back to Europe, where many of them ended up being murdered in the Holocaust. Even when it became undeniable that Jews were being exterminated, countries went out of their way to avoid helping. King relented by allowing Jewish children to find refuge here in Canada, but made it clear they'd be sent back to Europe as soon as possible. Again, we don't want to pollute those bloodlines. Again, reports of atrocities being committed against Jews in Europe were underplayed or denied. Even today, we have losers who deny the Holocaust even happened, despite overwhelming evidence and literally millions of witnesses. Some people just insist on holding some perverse hatred for Jews to the point where they'll never admit any wrongdoing was done against them. Now, despite rather overwhelming evidence that Hamas terrorists slaughtered countless unarmed Jewish citizens on October 7th, Canadian-Palestinian activists have been claiming it was Israel who murdered the people attending a music festival that day. Yeah, Gada Sasa, a group of Canadians for justice and peace in the Middle East, made that claim on Ryan Jesperson's show in Alberta last week. And Jesperson did call her out on that claim. And he's been abused by Hamas supporters online for treating Sasa poorly in the interview. She later, by the way, organized a protest outside of a Jewish child care center in Ontario, where children and parents alike were intimidated. If the issue is just with Israel and not Jews themselves, then what's the point of protesting outside of daycare centers? Why not go outside an embassy or a consulate? Because, because your problem is with Jews, not Israel. Quit, quit feeding me that BS saying it's, it's, it's Israel you got the beef with. Not when you're targeting daycare centers, you losers. 
Likewise, pro-Hamas protesters, and they have been pro-Hamas, they, they've been intimidating customers and workers alike at Jewish-owned businesses and restaurants. Does that sound familiar for those of you who are familiar with history? We got pro-Palestine mobs demonstrating outside of these things. I mean, anti-Jewish mobs demonstrating outside of businesses and daycares. This is the sort of behavior that led up to Kristallnacht in Germany in 1938. When a pogrom was carried out against Jews' businesses, it started with them. They were targeted. There was graffiti, smashed glass. Kristallnacht translates to Night of Broken Glass. And that event was considered the beginning of the formal pursuit of what was called the final solution for the extermination of Jews. So why does Israel face such scrutiny when it comes to every assault against them? When it was revealed that Hamas terrorists had been beheading babies, that was denied. Then finally, the Hamas apology said, well, okay, there were a few dozen babies murdered, but not all of them were beheaded, as if that somehow makes it better. Next, the claimed emerged that Israel deliberately bombed a hospital in Gaza and killed hundreds of people. The terrorists of Hamas were given the benefit of the doubt, and Israel was widely condemned for committing the atrocity. Trudeau implied Israel was at fault with his initial statement. It hasn't really walked it back now that it's been proven the hospital was hit by a rocket misfire from terrorists in Gaza themselves. Why on earth does the world keep believing the claims of terrorists who just literally slaughtered peaceful kids in a music festival and have decapitated babies? Well, they condemn them before the facts come out. Why the zeal to condemn Israel, no matter how bad the source of information is? When people were gleefully dancing in the Canadian streets in the days after the attack on Israel, they weren't being pro-Palestine, they were being pro-Hamas, and they were celebrating mass murder. It can only be when the atrocity against Jews, you know, is proven and shown that the, 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 it finally becomes muted, the critique. The chant from river to sea, it's common among pro-Hamas protesters rearing their ugly heads in Canada. That statement references wiping Israel from the map and slaughtering every Jew within it. It's right in the Hamas charter, guys. Yeah, we still tolerate this for some reason. I mean, we wouldn't tolerate it with any other group out there, I tell you that. The Israeli government had to bring in over 100 international journalists the other day and show them footage of 40 minutes from the Hamas slaughter. The terrorists are so perverse, they recorded every minute of it and what they did. Hopefully this did serve as an effective reality check for some of the media members who still lived under the misconception that Hamas is some enemy that can be reasoned with or shown mercy. People say Israel has the right to defend itself, yet condemn Israel every time they actually do it. So what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to sit still and wait for the next round of terrorists, the next pile of missiles. Hamas is still firing missiles into the residential areas of Israel daily. And Israel are the ones catching the crap. Where's the demands that Hamas cease firing? Israel's going to be under threat as long as Hamas exists, and they plan to eliminate that threat. If somebody else has suggestions on how to do that, I'm all ears. But for now, Hamas has a mandate to eliminate every Jew in Israel, so don't try to tell me they're open to reasonable negotiations. They're holding hostages, and they're lobbing bombs into residential areas. No other nation would be subjected to such public abuse for defending itself after such an attack. No other nation except Israel. And let's not pretend the reason for that is because it's the only Jewish country on earth. So yeah, guys, I'm, I'm sick of it. You know, I just had to get that out. I'm sick of it. The, the double standard. Hey, it's a war. I don't doubt there's going to be some BS coming from the uh, Israeli government and, and some uh, press releases, you know, and the truth is going to be lost in some cases. But in every case, any statement from the one and only democracy in the Middle East, the one and only place that allows women's and, and, and gay rights is somehow the evil one in the eyes of the left. And their actions have to get such scrutiny well, we have proven terrorists who get given the benefit of the doubt time and time again. We got something terribly wrong with this. And watching the gross displays of anti-Semitism on the streets in Canada has just been stomach-wrenching. And it's got to stop from the unions and the rest of those scumbags. And that's what they are.
All right, that's enough of that ranting. Let's talk to somebody decent with some principle. That's our Dave Naylor. I'm sure he's got a bunch of good news to put a smile on my face this morning. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Uh, good, Corey. Holy cow, you're wound up, and rightfully so. That's annoying. Yeah, uh, as you say, it's gross. Hey, I saw you were uh, jet-setting around northern Alberta this weekend in your own private plane. Yeah. What's going on there? You could call it that. Yeah, I was doing a, something of a, a speaking tour with the uh, uh, Alberta Prosperity Project in a few northern stops. The The plane that they provided was uh, a tiny little four-seater. I, I certainly got to get a, an intimate view of northern Alberta squashed in the backseat of that little fella. Yeah, no kidding. So it wasn't a Lear jet then? Not quite. No, I haven't hit that status yet. I am flattered that people actually do want to come out and listen to me talk, but I don't quite rate getting a luxury service or anything on an airplane quite yet. No, that's too bad. Yeah, I saw a photo of the plane. It, uh, uh, you know, yeah, it would have been a bit nervous, nerve-wracking going up in that, that's for sure. Well, well there, it is. there it is, yeah. After reading Makachuk's story about his uh, pilot, uh, piloting uh, adventures, you know, it doesn't lend confidence in some of those small plane pilots sometimes. No, exactly, but uh, they're they're all very well-trained, I'm sure. Oh, so, yes. yeah, it's uh, uh, been a busy day, as usual, here at Western Standard World Headquarters. As I look outside, the snow has started again, so that's good. Uh, the website uh, currently leading off the story on the, the war of words, the the ex-war of words, formerly Twitter, between Stilvin Gilbo and uh, Alberta's uh, Environment Minister, Rebecca Schultz. Uh, so they went back and forth with each other uh, this morning. Uh, we've got an interesting story out of uh, uh, the, there was a whistleblower that uh, complained that uh, inmates in, a Cal- in, a, in the Edmonton Remand Centre were not being uh, treated properly with, with their health care. Their medical needs were being uh, uh, ignored. And the investigator went in and found out, yes, in fact, there was uh, these, uh, these five health care workers uh, uh, in, the, in the remand center that uh, weren't, provide, weren't, weren't doing their job, basically. So, so that story is up there now. Uh, Bud Light appears to have done a, a, a 180 with uh, you know, the, all the trouble they got in with Dylan Mulvaney. Uh, they've signed a big sponsorship deal with uh, UFC now, uh, so about the uh, exact opposite of Dylan Mulvaney, and that's worth $100 million to the UFC. So that's their biggest uh, uh, sponsorship uh, deal yet. Uh, lots of other stories, as you can see uh, up there already uh, today. Uh, well, in about a few minutes, uh, Alberta Premier Daniel Smith will be giving her state of the province address to the Edmonton Chamber. And uh, we'll have a full report on that shortly after after 12:30. And the Ontario government has sent a urgent message to uh, uh, the Liberals, demanding that they uh, put a stop to Alberta's plan to leave uh, the Canada Pension Plan. Uh, so we're going to have that story up uh, shortly as well. But a very significant political development there from Ontario, Corey. Right on, yeah. Alberta's actions are suddenly gathering the attention of the rest of the country. It's it's funny when the uh, Purse strings get a little bit threatened how uh, quickly Alberta becomes a, at least an important subject to discuss, though it doesn't sound like they're ready to t- talk uh, nicely with us. No, we're on the way to being public enemy number one, I think, with this pension plan, Corey. Oh, well, I'm all right with that. Okay, well, thanks for the update, Dave. I'll, I'll let you get back to those stories. I know a lot more is breaking out today. Thanks, Corey. Hey, thanks. So that was our news editor, Dave Naylor. And as you can hear, yeah, and as you see when you go to the Western Standards site, We have stories coming up constantly in real time. We have reporters all over the country, columnists all over. And the reason we can do it, guys, is because you have subscribed. And it's fantastic. Thank you very much to all of our subscribers. And this is where I like to remind everybody, get on there and subscribe if you haven't yet already. $9.99 a month. 
$100 for a year. Come on, take advantage of that volume discount. Just like subscribing to a newspaper gets you past the paywall, gets you onto the site and allows us to keep going out there and getting that news directly to you and, and, and good original news. There's not many outlets anymore that have actual reporters anymore. I mean, they're, they're just reheating uh, stuff that comes through the newswire and, and plastering it out there if that much. So please subscribe, support your independent outlet, guys. It's important for us and it's important for you. <laughs> so yeah, some of that stuff, you know, Bud Light, they, they, you know, talk about blowing it. They, they, they've, I mean, they were the beer of the big horses. They were the, the beer of football games, the beer of NASCAR. I mean, let's be blunt about it. It was the beer of rednecks and that's fine. You got your different markets, you know, and they just dipped into the woke and, and, and blew it. It cost them, it sounds like billions. They're still trying to recover and now they're going the other way around. So let's go into UFC, you know, a nice tough sport and, and sponsor those things and get into it. it, it it's funny, you know, among the athletic areas where uh, we have trans people going into uh, other uh, gender areas, UFC, I mean, there's some pretty darn tough uh, uh, women fighting in there. There, there. there haven't been any trans men to my knowledge going into the other end of it. Uh, that way. So that much is good. I mean, it would look terrible in the middle of a UFC fight in a woman's fight if uh, one of the woman's balls fell out of her outfit during the process of the thing. But we're not seeing it there. And you certainly don't see it the other way. If it's all things being equal, why aren't there any woman to male trans people joining and trying to fight against men in the UFC? I haven't seen anybody pushing or entering that or, or any trying to enter the NFL or any of those things for that matter. Either way, I do love seeing examples of the old go woke, go broke thing in action. Uh, I wish Bud Light the best. Maybe they've learned their lesson and they'll back off and uh, just stick to doing what they did well for so long. If not, well, there's many, many other beers out there. Uh, likewise, you know, we saw recently Victoria's Secret's going to go back to actually focusing in, uh, you know, lingerie for women rather than virtue signaling uh, and all the rest of the garbage. Same thing because their sales dropped. And that's what it shows. The power is in our hands, guys, as consumers. We can control these woke businesses, and we do. We vote with our wallets, and they have no choice but to respond. So keep voting that way, guys, and uh, maybe, maybe the world will get edged a little closer to the normalcy that we deserve. I won't count on it being too, too much. So, all right, let's get on to the guest. I've been ranting long enough at you guys. We've got a treat. Like I said, Sheila Gunn-Reed is uh, coming on for a little while to talk to us, and we're going to talk about independent media. Hey, Sheila, how you doing? I'm great. Corey, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, I appreciate it. I was saying at the start, geez, been, you know, I've been going this long. I've never actually had you on, on my show, and it's way overdue. So I appreciate you shame. coming on. <laughs> it, it is. And, and we, we certainly um, have a lot of common cause going on. That's part of what I wanted to talk about. We've got so much threat going on with independent media, towards independent media. And I like to remind everybody, at worst, we're friendly competitors with, with different outlets, but we still want to see uh, a good free and ungoverned media out there for Canadians to be able to consume. Yeah. You, you know, like, uh, yeah, of course we're competitors, but I think we are sort of working towards a common cause, uh, giving normal people a voice to speak truth to power and holding the government to account. And there needs to be more of that in this country and more of this done by people who refuse to allow their credibility to be contaminated and their companies to be completely colonized by government money. And I, I think the recent spate of legislation directed at independent media by the government really shows the power of independent media and the fear the government has for the ability of independent media to do those things that the mainstream media just isn't. And that is getting eyeballs 
<laughs> making money and striking fear in the hearts of liberals. Yeah, well, so, I mean, it's, it's an ongoing discussion, but not everybody necessarily understands that there's C-11, C-18. Those have been the two kind of legislative, uh, identifiable attacks against independent media lately. Uh, Rebel Media, with, with whom you're with and you have your show, uh, you guys are a lot more broadcast-oriented than we are with the, the standard. And C-11 is sort of more targeted towards the broadcasters. How is that going to impact uh, you guys over there? You know, we don't even really know yet. So C-11, for people at home who don't know, basically it has expanded the mandate of the 1970s era CRTC. That's the broadcast regulator, which used to only deal with sort of TV and cable, like radio, like old terrestrial stuff that your grandparents still tune into. That's what it dealt with. And to escape government control. A lot of people went to the internet. They went to streaming services where you could actually watch something you wanted to watch without having CanCon shoveled into your face and your feed. And uh, at Rebel News, that's the reason why we went directly to YouTube as opposed to trying to go back and have another cable channel that would be euthanized by um, government regulators. And because we've been successful and because other people have sort of followed in our footsteps um, in the in the path of the trail we blazed. Now you have the government saying, ah, those people, they're having a little bit too much to think. They're a little bit too free. People can access them directly. And so we have to bring them under the thumb of the government. And so very recently, um, streaming services uh, have been required to register with the CRTC and the liberals said, well, what's the big deal? We just want to know who they are. Yeah, I'm a gun owner. <laughs> I know exactly what happens after you are forced to register with the government. It's either confiscation or serious control. So, um, you know, when when they want to know who is you, what what the podcast services are, the next step is to ask those podcast services now that you know who they are give us your user list. And the CRTC was very clear. They said, we will be coming back for more information from these streaming services. We just haven't told them what that information is yet. Well, that's it. I think it's the, what they're planning on doing by the sounds of it is turning the streaming services into their policing arm. So they're just saying, yeah. get ready to give all the information to us. And then we're going to tell you how you regulate the people going on your platform. So it's kind of a, a backdoor way to regulate the content of what's going on with a, even the smallest of independent broadcasts. Well, they, they do this all the time. The liberals are really, really getting quite good at offloading uh, their attempts to control your life onto the private sector. They're doing this right now. Again, I bring up gun control, but they are making the gun retailers hold the registry so that the liberals get to say, oh, we didn't, we're not requiring gun registration. That's just information that the retailers have to hold. And it's going to be the same with these streaming services. We are not registering streamers in this country, but you're going to have to. And then if we need that information, you're going to have to turn it over. That's where I see this is where this is headed. So, uh, What's the need? You know, that's something they've never really been able, in my view, anyways, to demonstrate. I mean, we understand we've got our suspicions on what they, the need is, but is there any ostensible purpose being served through having CRTC start to step in on, on uh, you know, broadcasting outside of television radio? No, but, but I think it is, I think we're going to see like a nexus 
of certain liberal uh, laws that are going to sort of, I think, coalesce around the CRTC. So we have the Online Harms Act that's coming forward. So I think uh, giving the CRTC more power to control what you see and what you can say online, uh, I, I think that might be the enforcement arm of this coming online harms legislation. So let's go further then on to uh, C-18, because that one really, that really smacked us over here at the Western Standard. Yeah. We're still getting out to our subscribers, but it's really dramatically, of course, made it harder for us to reach new viewers, new readers, or even our existing ones. You know, it's just the nature of it. The more you can get the articles in front of people, the better you're going to get readership and reaching out. Uh, you know, it was a failed cash grab, yet the government still will not back down on this. They're still acting as if... Uh, Meta is going to relent and Google isn't going to start blocking us. Well, and, you know, this is what happens. Like the, the government should have realized, although it's Justin Trudeau, never underestimate how incompetent he and his cabinet are. But, you know, when when the French government tried to control Rumble, uh, Rumble said, well, we just don't need to be in France. And I'm worried that that's what's going to happen uh, with Twitter, they they might just say, or X or whatever Elon Musk is calling it now, He they just might say, actually, we just don't need to be in Canada. But yeah, C-18 for people who don't know, um, it's the government's shakedown. Again, this is the government offloading the things they want to do onto the private sector. The government wants to subsidize the mainstream media. But they offloaded the subsidy onto the private sector, onto big tech, and they shook down big tech and said, if a user shares a link onto your platforms, you then have to pay the creator of the news content. Your boss, Derek Fildebrandt, does a great job of explaining this in layman's terms. He says it's like making the paper boy pay for the pleasure of delivering the newspaper to the, new <laughs> to the newspaper company. It doesn't make any sense. The system wasn't broken. There was no need to fix it. The broken system was the mainstream media who are creating content nobody wants to pay for. And don't don't kid yourself. It hit us here at Rebel News too, um, because that's where a lot of our traffic comes from is on Facebook and Instagram. Now we have a different business model that allows us to reach out directly to our people. But the mainstream media, they are still clamoring for this subsidy from big tech, even though turning off the taps to Facebook and Meta have hurt their ad dollars, I guess the mainstream media thinks that uh, Justin Trudeau will just pony up the difference if big tech refuses to pay out. Well, and, and he might. And, and that, that that's part, though, maybe of, of why they're going at it. But it just astounds me. I, I, I know there's points of pride. There's points of politics. Nobody ever likes to admit an error or go into retreat. But, I mean, this bail, bill has failed. It, it's failed uh, to, to be able to garner any cash to redistribute to any of these media outlets. It's reduced the reach of the outlets themselves. But they will. I mean, the only hope, and I don't think even if they repealed the bill, uh, that, but that's the only way Meta would even consider allowing links on their, their platform ever again. And, and the government just is acting as if this bill's a success and they're going to carry on. Google has said that even if Bill C-18 is severely changed, they are still considering not allowing linking uh, to Canadian news or sharing of Canadian news on Google News. Because it, it at this point, if you were a big tech company, 
what's the point in ever doing business in Canada? We're not that big of a market and we are a completely unfriendly business environment wherein just one day the government can say, actually, we're wringing some cash out of you for absolutely no reason whatsoever, except to subsidize the failing mainstream media. They don't have to do business here. They they don't. And I think that might be a consequence of Justin Trudeau's attempts to reach into big tech's pocket is they're just going to say, Canadians, no thanks. Maybe we can do business with Saudi Arabia. Well, that's part of it. I, I think there's a vanity on their part thinking that they, they have more influence than they do. Uh, they, they, they said, oh, we're going to stop advertising on Facebook and we'll bring them to their knees. And, you know, the loss of that revenue from losing the news links, which turns out to have been none, uh, they have no leverage in this, this fight. I mean, it, it, there's nothing to threaten Facebook with. I, I don't know where we're going to get. But I mean, if Google comes to it, we, we get a lot of, you know, as do you, a lot of links to even past older stories. People are searching sure. something out, they reference it. If we lose that, again, that's going to be a terrible bite on, on every independent uh, news organization. I just don't know when the breaking point is for the mainstream media. Is, and is there a breaking point? Because they know sugar daddy Justin Trudeau is just going to make it rain on them. Uh, but really, there should come a point at which even they say, this is insanity. People are not able to see our content. It's crippling our ability to charge for advertising. And people can't see our old work. There, I don't, where is the person in the mainstream media who still has a shred of business sense that will say to the government, this is flawed. Stop it. We don't want it. Well, I got a feeling, though, that anybody who speaks out is going to have to find a new career through a substack or start putting out resumes to outlets like yours and mine because they will get fired if they dare to speak against those things. It's got to be humiliating, I think, to be some of those journalists in the legacy outlets to bite their tongues when they see what is such a, a terrible legislation and, and and not speak up on it. I mean, that's the only reason I can think of. There are some principled people out there. It's got to be galling to them to see what's happening to this industry right now. Yeah, careers at rebelnews.com. <laughs> if you're out there in the mainstream media and you're, you're willing to write that column that could potentially lose your job but save your dignity, uh, there are. Uh, and I'm the first person to say there are still some great ones left in the mainstream media, even in the behemoth of post-media. There's Lauren Gunter. There's Rick Bell. Um, these guys, I think, are and Joe Warmington, these guys are grinding it out. And I, I would not want their job. Because I feel like every single day they have to prickle to be able to speak their minds and speak the truth. Um, and, and I'm grateful um, that those guys are still out there because at least my money's going somewhere good if it pays their salaries. Yeah, well, and I, I was at a, a function last night. And I mean, I just, you know, I think we kind of agreed probably like people have to remain on guard. As we heard some others speaking up saying, oh, don't worry about it. Here, Polly will get in and he'll fix everything. Well, maybe, but you know, I, historically, governments don't. Once they get a legislation that gives them control of something, even if it was the prior government that did it, they're not too quick to let go of that kind of control later. I mean, they, we, there's no sense. We, we shouldn't stop the pressure on this for hoping that somebody will fix it later. Yeah, uh, and everybody is still looking for Stephen Harper's hidden agenda to undo the CBC. It was so hidden, nobody ever found it. A lot of politicians say a lot of things uh, to get votes. I don't have a reason to distrust Pierre Polyev 
yet, except insofar as he's a politician and you should never really trust a politician. But we also saw, you know, Jason Kenney saying, what even is a vaccine passport? And then all of a sudden he's bringing in one. So, you know, don't put your faith in princes. You have to fight to get this stuff repealed. I think the last time we saw, again, gun registration, last time we saw a big government control grab like this repealed was the gun registry. I think that was really the last time. And when was that? 15 years ago? 10 years ago? It's been a while. And I mean, I, I still hold out hope. I just don't want to see anybody getting complacent, you know? And also keep reminding Mr. Polyev then, you're on the right track. Please commit to repealing this stuff when you get in, assuming the Liberals are going to, I mean, if and when you get in, and assuming the Liberals are, are not going to uh, admit defeat and get rid of this, this odious Bill 18. Yeah, I mean, this is something that the public needs to tell their politicians, that this is a voting issue for you. The ability to consume information in the way that you want to consume it without the hand of the state just mucking it up in the middle, that's a voting issue. It's a human rights issue, frankly, um, and we should be treating it as such. Well, we'll keep pushing back. I know, you know, there's a lot of uh, stubborn souls out in independent media. I, I use the analogy. It's like playing whack-a-mole. You guys can shut us down over here, but we're going to pop up over there. And then we're going to pop up over here. And we're going to pop up over there. Uh, so before I let you go, where can we find your show and, and all that good stuff on Rebel News? Oh, thanks for letting me tell the world. Uh, so my show, The Gun Show, is it's a paywalled show at Rebel News. So if you would like to subscribe to our paywall. It's only eight bucks a month. That's like four coffees. Um, it's to subscribe, just go to rebelnewsplus.com. But for those of you on a tight budget and dealing with Justin Trudeau's out of control inflation, if you're willing to sit through a few ads, my show uh, goes live on Wednesday, but it's usually out for free with ads on YouTube and Rumble by the weekend. Great. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on today and I appreciate uh, Rebel and the rest of you guys for you know being along with the rest of us and making sure we still have news and information getting out to people. I mean, it lends to confidence to the listeners, you know, we're, we're not going to give up. No, we're not. And a rising tide floats all boats. You know, uh, if we fight and we win, we bring all the other people along with us. It's an army then to fight Justin Trudeau. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again, Sheila. Great to have you on and I hope we get to talk again soon. You got it. So that was Sheila Gunn-Reed, as everybody already knows of, uh, well, the gun show and rebel media. So, yeah, they, they, the battle goes on and it's it's on so many fronts. It's always control. It's control, control, control. That's been a trend of the Trudeau government since the start, really. You know, it, it, it's always trying to grasp more control, not trying to fix his own policy issues or anything like that, but just trying to control other things. Uh, one commenter saying, you know, uh, accurate criticisms are a part of a free speech society. It's how it self-corrects. It's true. It, I trust people. Leave them free. There will be problems coming. There will be issues coming, but they will iron out in the long run. But you got to stay out of it. I do not trust any government to control my speech, my expression, my access to news, uh, though some I trust less than others. But we can't let down our guards on this. And as I was saying to Sheila, we just have to make sure that uh, Mr. Polyev is well aware that that, uh, you know, we, we, we want that followed up on, uh, presuming he's the next Prime Minister of Canada. We'll see. There's still a long time to go to that. The, the polls are horrific for, for Justin Trudeau. It's been interesting to watch. I mean, they're just going down and down and down. It doesn't seem to be matter what they're doing. You know, the term used for them, uh, people have used, uh, uh, you know, ironically with them is true anon, you know, a play on the QAnon thing. But you watch the, the social media 
almost cult-like following of Trudeau that just does not matter what he does, they, they will not criticize him. But how? How can you still start defending when, when you're trailing this badly? It really says so much to the cult-like nature of the Liberals. When Do you have any positive ideology? Do you have any goals? Do you have any policies you want to get through? Or are you really actually willing to go down with this ship? Do you really want to see a lost election coming and you will just go down rather than replace your leader. Well, nobody take Trudeau aside and say, dude, you did your time. Move aside. This isn't working. I mean, some people are saying, good, good. Let Justin carry on like he is. And it can assure that they get wiped out in the next election. That's probably true. But how much more damage can that dingbat do with two more years? I know some of the stuff that is a little scary is he could be replaced by somebody worse. There's always that potential. Sure there is. Uh, but I don't know. He's so blind to, to reality in the world, it's hard to imagine. I mean, one of the scary uh, potential contenders to replace him is, is Mark Carney, for example. Not a, your average Canadian doesn't even necessarily know who he is. The problem with him is he's an ideologue, he's a globalist, and he's smart, which makes him much more dangerous than Justin Trudeau. So we could replace Trudeau with something even worse than what left. But uh, the, no matter where it sits, Trudeau's not worth keeping around. Here's another one of those examples, the spending. The spending, and, and the, so this has been going on now through two um, governor generals. So, I mean, it's the prime minister who appoints the governor generals. I, I don't care about all the talk about, oh, it's the queen's representative, it's arm's length and all that baloney. Come on. Realistically, the prime minister is in charge. And I, I know the prime minister can't quite just fire a governor general, but a prime minister can defund them. I mean, we, we, we had the last prima donna one who had to leave in disgrace after she abused staff and, and acted like a princess. And now the latest one is just spending money like nobody's business. You know, uh, Mary Simon with her, uh, what, expensing us for her uh, silk uh, jackets and beef wellington on flights. And now it turns out she's got an $8 million barn or warehouse on her property. Wh why? Why? What on earth would a governor general need an $8 million warehouse for? But we bought it. We spent the money. It's solar powered. It's green. Guys, we're getting robbed. That's what's happening. Be careful. I don't know exactly what happened in this case, but let's just talk hypotheticals with these sorts of projects when they have $8 million. Come on. <laughs> Anybody in the rural community ever spend $8 million on a Quonset or a uh, you know, small warehouse? But you see, what happens in corrupt nations is, of course, these things go through, they get sole sourced, somebody's buddy of a buddy gets the contract, and they inflate the bid by, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand percent, and the money gets liberally spread around a lot of friends. How many ways and how many levels is this happening? I don't know. I don't know if that was the case in this particular warehouse. But boy, how else would you explain why a barn cost $8 million. How, what did you possibly do to spend that money? Our money, our money. You work, you pay more taxes all the time, you lose your freedoms, and this is what they're doing. They're laundering the money into their own pockets. Somebody somewhere is. You gotta get mad, people. You've gotta get up. We've gotta get these guys out of power. This happens when any government becomes too entrenched. Any government, any government. Alberta was really bad when we had the progressive conservatives from 1971 until 2015, that was not healthy for a democracy. I mean, they were, you know, we had Ralph Klein through that period and, and Lahey did some good things and there was ups and downs, but it really is actually important to turn over a government now and then. Unfortunately, we turned over into the NDP where the cure was, was, you know, worse than the disease. 
but that was a, an extent of what happened when we let our government get that rotten. And there were a lot of bad deals that happened over the decades with the PCs. And I wouldn't want to see the UCP in for 12, 14, 20 years. We need to you know, start looking at alternatives or at least flushing the party out and changing it, or you start to get corruption. It's unfortunately inevitable. It's not unique to Alberta or Canada, but we're getting more and more of it. Uh, let's go down the news scroll, down to the line of stupidity. Here we go. Uh, so the cabinet must suspend its safe supply drug policy as a killer. This is good. You know, hearing from a conservative MP from BC because, uh, yeah, he lost a brother-in-law to an overdose. Like BC's been giving out drugs like nobody's business for, for you know, quite a while now since it's been uh, decriminalized. And guess what? It's led to more addiction, more death, more overdoses, more misery, more tense cities. Wow. Nobody saw that coming, right? But at least some people are starting to speak up. And uh, yeah, let's see the BC coroner services. Uh, let's for this year, as of August 31st. So we haven't uh, seen the full extent of it yet. But uh, there's there's been 1,645 overdose deaths in BC up to August. So I mean, well on track, probably going to get over 3,000 dead from overdoses in BC in this year at the rate they're going. So what are the... Uh, brilliant drug enablement cultists saying. Well, they're saying we need to decriminalize drug trafficking in the tent cities. Yeah. Because you see, they decriminalized the drugs and that failed. You know, they're dying, addiction spreading, people are miserable, tent cities are expanding. So now they're saying, well, the reason must be because we're cracking down on the dealers. I, I thought with safe supply, there wouldn't be any dealers, but you see, that's another flaw of their whole stupid plan because uh, the people just get the drugs from the safe supply and then they sell them for the harder drugs they can get elsewhere. Those dealers traffic in the tent cities. That's why you get the stabbings in the tent cities and all the associated crime that comes with that. So they say, now we just need to stop uh, criminalizing the trafficking of these illegal drugs in the tent cities. That will fix it up. That'll make them better, right? If we just open it up a little more, Sure it will. The naivety and idiocy of the enablement cult. There are no easy answers. There aren't any. Absolutely not. I mean, going in with truncheons and trying to find the dealers in these tent cities and crack down on them, no, that's not going to work either. I understand that. But to think that if we just keep liberalizing and opening and, and, and allowing more and more of it is going to cause the problem to get better is just, to be blunt, stupidity. You know, and these same... Leftists, because we see them on city councils all the time. Well, you know, these are the ones that usually put this sort of crap out there, and they get into provincial politics too, and things, and bureaucrats and health uh, systems. They're the ones, you know, in Calgary where they banned vaping in public parks. Vaping, no evidence that somebody vaping ten feet away from you is doing any harm to you at all, you know, physically. They said, well, why? Why would you ban it then if there's no risk being you know, done to anybody else with somebody vaping in a park? We're not even talking about a cigarette anymore. We're talking about vape. Well, we don't want to normalize it. That's what they said. We don't want to normalize it because kids might see it and they might take it up. Oh, I see. So what about having somebody stuffing a needle in his arm on an LRT train? What a person, uh, about a person smoking meth in the park? You don't do anything about that, you know? Is that not normalizing it? Is that perhaps not a little more problematic than somebody vaping? But they don't, don't want to crack down on that. No, in fact, we want to facilitate the drug trafficking in the tent camps. So yes, don't vape in the park, but uh, be sure to crush and snort some oxy uh, before passing out with some fentanyl and perhaps overdosing in your own body fluids. That's okay, but don't vape. These guys are insane.
You know, they kind of half get it. I, I, I sort of, in a little bit of a sense, see, uh, okay, we don't want to normalize the vaping and the smoking. I, I got to admit, I mean, I smoked for a long time. I, I quit uh, ooh, when I was about 40 or so. And one of the factors that helps encourage a person to quit, true enough, is the social, uh, you know, pressure on you. Very, very few people smoke anymore compared to how it used to be. Not many at all. And you were getting chased around and people were frowning on you for smoking in public. And it puts the pressure on to make you think, I, I really got to give this crap up. But we're going the other direction with the addicts who are dying on the streets. That's one of the beauties that gets me too. Don't crack down on them shooting up on a public transit because we don't want to stigmatize them. Really? We can stigmatize somebody who legally purchased cigarettes and went at a cigarette somewhere outside of a door. Where, but uh, again, firing uh, a needle into your arm and shooting in some heroin or God knows what else into yourself. Well, we don't want to stigmatize that. Do you want them to quit or not? Again, you understand that the stigma helps people make that decision to quit, but you don't want to give it to them. It's delusional and it's killing them. And the numbers are showing that it's going through the roof. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And the cold weather's coming, and they're going to suffer out there. And it's sad. It's really sad. Uh, let's see what else we got going on. Oh, yeah. So Trudeau's chasing after the grocers again. This is another government in denial. More failed policy. Trudeau's been beaking off since last spring, going after retail grocers, blaming them for the high price of groceries. And it doesn't matter how many studies, even Trudeau's own study found that grocers weren't gouging people at the counter Grocery prices were narrow margin, profits were modest. Did that stop Trudeau? No, he made demands that you better lower the prices by Thanksgiving or we're going to tax you. That's how stupid Trudeau is. Hey, we're going to make prices come down by taxing something. Yeah, that always works. Ding bat. But either way, it was just a hollow threat. We know that. But they showed up by Thanksgiving and I didn't see any dramatic indication that grocery prices have gone down. So now they've gone after them again. They're demanding that they come before yet another commons committee, private industry, private business owners. This is, this is Moscow-esque of the old Soviet Union, guys. You're dragging private business owners forward as they did with Suncor and now with grocers to say, we have to somehow... Uh, <laughs> get you guys to make numbers balanced that you can cut grocery prices without going out of business. They can't do it. And I mean, they're, they're going to come before the committee and do, it's going to be the same thing, this song and dance, this stupidity. But it does damage. It does damage. It damages our reputation as a place to do business in Canada. Why do you want to do business here when the government's going to do nothing but attack you ridiculously without basis? But the government does have a lot of things to try and distract from too. You got to remember that. I mean, look at this week, the, the, if you see the videos out there, I mean, we had some interesting news. It sounds like the only reason that there was not a criminal investigation into the SNC-Lavalin thing, of course, is that the Prime Minister's office wouldn't cooperate with the investigation. Isn't that nice? Those of us in the real world, if we committed a crime and we just give the middle finger to the police when they come in to ask for documents or follow through an investigation, well, then we would just get thrown in jail and they're going to rip our house apart and our office apart and go into our computers and search and find things for their investigation anyways, because they're looking to find out where the crime was. But apparently when government does it, the RCMP says, oh, well, sorry, man, they said that they weren't going to share stuff with us, so we'll just stop the investigation. It sort of stirred people up when they found that out. So it was going to go to committee. It's going to go to committee. And uh, this committee was, ethics committee was going to ask Mounties why they dropped the investigation. They just want to ask it in committee, get it on the record, get it directly from them. And what happened? A surprise adjournment moment by a uh, motion was brought by the committee's liberal members and Jagmeet Singh's pathetic little NDP members supported it and they shut the committee down. Just out of the blue, bang, done, gone, we're out the door. We will not answer questions. 
you're guilty. It stinks. It stinks to high heaven. In other words, you guys were very guilty on these things. I mean, innocent people don't try to shut down the investigation. In fact, the innocent people encourage investigation because that leads to exoneration. Then you can say, see, they looked around. We didn't do anything wrong. It's done. It's behind us. Leave me alone. I'm going to move on with things. But all this government does is fight and distract and delay, such as the other idiocy. But you see, this is costing at the polls, but it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, yeah, the uh, Indian officials will say they're, it's been a month now that they've been freezing visas. We haven't heard a lot about that. Since Trudeau got up there and said he's got, uh, uh, you know, evidence, but he never disclosed the evidence that uh, the government of India was behind the assassination of a person in, in BC. So, of course, it's caused a diplomatic mess. And, and we got to think of the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of you know, Indian uh, people from uh, Indian descent in Canada haven't been able to get back and forth to home or for doing business or things like that, all due to this. Well, they're starting to relent and allow some types of visas to come through. But let's not forget, we're juggling so many issues with this inept government right now. It's hard to keep up with all of them. And uh, that's one of them. But that's why he does other things. That's why he's things like they're going after the grocers. I mean, it's a, hey, look, squirrel tactic is what it is. Uh, I, I'm sure there's got to be enough advisors by now saying there's nothing else these grocers can do. But, you know, uh, not to mention, we've got the inquiry started over the Chinese uh, interference. We can't forget about that, can we? But the government's trying to make you forget about it. The inquiry is finally rolling, but we're not hearing a heck of a lot. We're not sure what's going on with it. Again, this one stinks to high heaven, and the government's done everything in its power to hinder any sort of investigation to get to the bottom of what happened and rectify that. This is a broken, corrupted, rotten government. And uh, they're, they're distracting us, they're sidetracking, and uh, all of these indications, you know, when are some principled liberals going to get up and uh, get rid of that bloody leader they've got in Justin Trudeau? Because it's just falling apart. I don't know. We'll keep reporting on the train wreck, and I'll keep ranting about the train wreck, and we'll keep living under the train wreck. I guess that's just the nature of things. Um, for now, what else can we do? But keep organizing, keep active, keep on the news, guys. Keep subscribing to independent media. That's how we can keep getting that stuff out to you. And we will hold them accountable eventually. So that's all the time I got today. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, be sure to watch a little later for the pipeline. That's going to be coming on. That'll be our panel show to cover a few more issues and have some discussion. And, uh, well, you all have a good October. Hope you have a good uh, Halloween. Thanks. The current Lethbridge feed grain prices are as follows. Cash barley's at 342, feed wheat's at 350, and corn's trading at 338 per metric ton. In the milling meat markets, December Minneapolis futures are down seven and a quarter cents at 721 per bushel, with local hard red spring bids for November movement at 960 per bushel. In the oil seeds, nearby canola futures increased four dollars and sixty cents at 690.40 per ton with delivered values for November-December movement at $15.63 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentils are lower at $0.35 cents a pound, and yellow peas remain at $10.75 per bushel. In the cattle markets, December live cattle gained a dollar at $179.62 per 100 weight. For more information on grain marketing, call me at 403-394-1711. I'm Sean Smith at Marketplace Commodities, accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines 
helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.